Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got Marcus Placencia. Now, Marcus and I are connected a couple different ways. First off, I, I saw his social media a while back, and it's called Muley Cartel. Now, that name just kind of stuck with me. And a little while after that, I was talking with my buddy Brad, and he's like, dude, you need to get... You need to get my wife's cousin Marcus on. He's from New Mexico. He's super big into uh, mule deer hunting. He likes going after elk, but like mule deer is his number one passion. Um, you should look him up online. And I was like, all right, what's his handle? And he's like, I, I need to find out because Brad doesn't really do social media. But he found out. He's like, it's Muley Cartel. I'm like, no, no kidding. This guy that I've been watching his stuff for quite a while now ends up being one of my really good buddies' cousins. So, anyways, I'm pumped to have him on. It's been a long time coming. We've been kind of messaging back and forth for about a year now, and it's finally happening. I'm super pumped to find out more about mule deer hunting, which hopefully brings me success this fall, and hopefully you guys take a lot away from this one, and you can connect with a big mule deer this fall also. So, let's jump into the conversation with Marcus. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me today, I've got Marcus Placencia with Muley Cartel. And I'm super excited about this one because, uh, as, as some of you listeners have heard, my good buddy Brad is actually cousins, I guess his wife is Marcus's cousin. And so kind of a small world, especially him being from New Mexico. But I, I've been chatting with him for a couple minutes. I already enjoy the view right now because normally I just see somebody's face with a wall in the background, but he's got an amazing view with the spotting scope set up behind him. All that to say, Marcus, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Thank you, man. Glad to be here, Dan. Pleasure to meet you finally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why don't you start out by sharing with the listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe some hunting history, kind of how you got into the sport. Okay. Um, no, well, my name is Marcus Placencia. I live here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, which all of you know is New Mexico is is pretty great state to live in if you're a big game hunter. So definitely lucky there. Um, as far as getting into hunting, you know, uh, I was born into it. My father was a hunter, archery hunter specifically. So I grew up at a very early age following his footsteps around the mountains. 
you know, it started off just basically trying not to screw things up and be as quiet as I can <laughs> following in his foot tracks in the snow, you know, and, uh, as I got a little bit older, he would ask me, Hey, look around, where are you at? Where's camp? What's this? What's that? So then I realized, well, I better start paying attention to some things here and not just where I put my feet. So, I mean, he definitely brought me into hunting and, uh, damn grateful for it. So, so me and him have, have had a lot of experiences. That's my hunting partner. You know, we put in together, we, we hunt together. So he's, he's getting up there. He's 63. And let me tell you, he still kicks my butt in the mountains, man. It's hard <laughs> to keep up with him. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot of experience rifle hunting. I rifle hunted, you know, for my first few years unsuccessfully, I did get one shot at a buck that I, I missed. So um, I got into bow hunting because obviously my father was a bow hunter and I was able to harvest my first animal, a cow elk at 12. And from then on out, I was hooked, man. I never went back, never even attempted to rifle hunt ever since. So since I was 12 years old, I've been doing nothing but archery hunting. So I'll be 40 here in a couple of months. That's uh, a... <laughs> It's hard to say out loud, but yeah, I'll be 40 here in a couple months and, and I've been archery hunting this entire time. Man, that's amazing. I, I have almost zero experience archery hunting out West, but I, as soon as I, I think I was 16, maybe even 18, I got my first bow and I was shooting it nonstop and I've fallen in love with archery. I still enjoy rifle hunting, but my next, I guess, transition in the hunting world is going to be a lot of archery hunting out west because watching people do spot and stock like elk and mule deer hunt or uh, even whitetail hunt in the mountains, turkey, you name it. There's something about like the primitive side of it. The uh, I'm trying to think. It's, it seems more intimate when you have a bow and you have to get that close to an animal, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely makes sense. I mean, there's several reasons that I love hunting with a bow. Several reasons that I love hunting with a bow. And I mean, one of them, obviously the intimacy. Two, the, the dates that you get to hunt are just so much better. I mean, you have the rut hunts, you have longer hunts. Instead of spending five days out there, you get sometimes an entire month. You know, in Arizona, you get three months, Jeez. almost three months, if, you know. So it's, it's time in the field, which is you know, obviously one of my favorite things to do. I like being in the mountains. Um, so archery offers me more time out there to be able to experience it. Um, it's just everybody that I've introduced to archery has just, they, they, they fall, fall in love with it and never step back into the rifle world. You know, obviously I'm going to keep that on the back burner because when I do get older and I'm not able to, to do the things that I want to do with archery equipment, well, I'll save that for that time. Yeah. I, but it seems like, I mean, when you, when you do dive into the archery world like that, or you get people who might be hunting for their first time, they do get hooked and they couldn't care less about carrying a gun around with them. Um, I know a couple people like that. One guy, we hunt his property in Wisconsin and he goes out to Colorado by himself for a whole month every year with, with just his bow. And I mean, he's got to be, mid 60s now and he still oh, yeah. does it he's like dude he, he's he's a whole different breed and i hope to have him on the show at some point also but what 
what is it like in the in the desert hunting in comparison to other spots like high alpine because i've got to imagine the temperature swings the elements play a big part into how you hunt and then also i mean the animals i don't know do they act different in comparison to hunting them in the woods uh desert hunting is completely different than than high uh, high alpine hunting it's there's things that are beneficial for one sight distance you're able to glass an immense amount of country you can just sit there and, and your your glass is your best friend it's going to save your legs you know the more that you can look with your eyes the less your legs have to work um, so there's a lot of country to cover. And that being said, it's not entirely easy to spot them. Uh, even at that in the open, these things just, they're, they're insane. Mule deer are insane. So I wonder they're one of my favorite animals to hunt because it's just, they're so unpredictable. You can't pattern them. Um, I mean, to an extent you can't, but, uh, hunting them in the desert, it provides my favorite style of hunting, which is spot and stock. I mean, to me, that's the most exciting and the most uh, gratifying for me. But it's also, I, I seem to get more opportunities hunting the desert just because of the, the openness. You're going to spot more game. You're going to have more opportunities on stocks. You can actually follow them from their feeding areas into their bedding areas and bed them down and, and come up with a plan uh, as opposed to high alpine. You know, they disappear in the trees and that's that. Everything is a guess from then on there from then on out. And you got to go up, get to where you last saw them, um, try and find out where they went. And it's a lot of times that's hard. It's tough. Yeah, I could imagine. I mean, the like you mentioned, the nice part has to be the visibility because when you can when you can follow deer and you can watch the patterns that they're taking day in and day out, that's so so much different than anything i've grown up doing you know hunting big timber in wisconsin like you oh, yeah. see a deer and you'll see it for five minutes and then it's gone and you'll never see it again yeah um but to have that glassable country and i've started to experience it with rifle hunting in colorado big open uh valleys and mountainsides and you can see for a long ways but also coming from the east or the midwest it can be pretty intimidating when you see the, oh, yeah, scope for sure. of the landscape that you're going for through. sure. Yeah. That's, it's definitely intimidating and, you know, getting good with, with your, with glassing is it's an art. It's something that not everybody can do because it, it takes a lot out of you to sit there and just pick apart every hillside. You know, a lot of people, when they glass, they just, they get up and they just throw a scan. Well, I don't see anything. Well, if you do that, you're, there's a lot of stuff that you're going to miss. I mean, you really have to pick apart hillsides. You have to look at, if it's a hot day, you know, those deer are going to be bedded in the shade. So you're going to have to look under every juniper bush, every little nook and cranny and just really pick it apart and look for that. Maybe an ear flicker or a tail flicker or anything that just, I mean, it, your eyes have to adjust. Once you see your first deer in whatever landscape you're on, you're like, oh, okay, you'll you'll be able to pick them out a lot quicker once you get acclimated to what they look like and look like in that terrain. But glassing is it's tough, man. It's tough. It was hard for me at first. I would scan the hillside, like, ah, there's nothing here, and let's move on. But you really have to sit there and pick it apart. I cannot stress that enough. So it's it's not for everybody, but it's 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 the way to go, I in my opinion. It's it has honestly turned into one of my favorite aspects of hunting. Like when I go out to Colorado late October, early November to just 
know that I'll be sitting for a couple hours on on this glassing point and just scanning back and forth. And I I can fully attest to what you're saying. Like once you see one, it makes it so much easier to see the next one. We always yeah. joke about breaking <clears throat> the seal. It's like, dude, once you once you pick up that first elk, all of a sudden it seems like the whole mountainside <laughs> comes alive with animals. Yeah, or you get that sight picture of what you're looking for. Yeah, but it's it seems like there's always that learning curve, you know, the first half day or even full day of being back out there, you're you're getting used to looking through your binos or your spotting scope again. Um, yeah. What what's the water situation like there? I mean, obviously the desert's um, a lot more dry than most places, but well, is that a situation where you're packing water in? Um, are you do you have a water source there? And then also, it, are you playing like water holes? Are you able to kind of hunt deer over water holes or watch them going to and from water? Well, there's, there's, there's a whole lot of questions in that and I have a whole lot of answers. Um, so let's see if I can tackle this. Um, first part, most of New Mexico is not, it's not just desert. It's even in the desert, there is a lot of water, but that's also going to be subject to year to year rainfall. What, what the, the, right now we're in a drought. We have fires all over the state. Um, we, it finally started raining last week, which is a miracle, thankfully. But even in the desert, you have cattle, you have ranches, you have, you know, they, they got stock tanks, they have trick tanks, they have, they have uh, water sources available for the, for the animals. So, um, but a lot of it's mountain. A lot of you have streams, you have rivers, you have a lot of, of different options for water for the animals and for yourself. I mean, if you're going in and you're going to hunt the desert, I wouldn't plan on taking like a Sawyer water filter and planning on filtering out water. I mean, if you can have at it, if you want to filter out some of those stock tanks, but, you know, <laughs> looking at them, I wouldn't chance it uh, unless it was an emergency. But anywhere else, mountainous, I mean, you can, you'll find those water sources. You'll have those creeks, those streams to filter water for yourself. So you're just going to have to plan on what kind of terrain you're hunting in and what, where you're going to be at, uh, whether you're packing in water or whether you're going to take a water filter and, and live off the land. But as far as animals, there's always going to be water. You just, you just got to find it. Some of the tanks are going to be dry, but uh, if there's cattle, there's livestock, there's going to be water. Uh, as far as hunting, water um it's one of the best ways to go me personally i have a very hard time doing it just because i like the spot and stock i like i like the thrill i like the plan i like the mine versus mine um and it's just it's terribly hard for me to sit there <laughs> so that being said i think it's an excellent way to kill a big buck because some of those big bucks that's your best bet is to catch them at a water tank um you know, my son had an elk hunt uh it's about three years ago now he's 12 this was first archery elk hunt and i wanted to put him in close he's only pulling back maybe 45 pounds and he needed to be close so we opted to sit wallows in a blind uh because the unit he drew was a third choice it was high pressure low density elk numbers um they weren't talking calling them in was you know, a minimal thing. So I sat there for nine days and let me tell you, that was one of the toughest nine days I've ever <laughs> had. It's just, you're, you're antsy. You're waiting for things to come in. 
Um, I ended up getting probably close to 12 bulls on the camera on the, on the wall that we were sitting. It just, wow. yeah, just never, never panned out for a shot in his range. But, you know, that was, that was a test to me that, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. I find, I find that, um, Western hunters have a lot harder time adapting to like the Midwest or the Eastern hunting style. Cause when you're used to being active and moving, it's difficult to just sit and even yeah. watching some of those hunts out out west where they are hunting water tanks or wallows and people are sitting there for like four days straight just to get one shot at an antelope or a mule deer. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I, I can, I feel the pain with that, but also where I hunt, you know, I'm sitting in cover typically. Um, it's definitely not as hot come September um here as it is uh in a lot of places out west but i i've fallen in love with spot and stock for sure there's there's nothing that compares to that in my mind and yeah coming from coming from the midwest it's something i look forward to every year yeah and you know i i brad's invited me out to go go hunt his property and and I, I really would like a whitetail. I have taken coos deer. We have coos deer out here, which is a subspecies of whitetail. Um, but, you know, I'll have to, I, I know that tree stand hunting, blind hunting, that's, that's a big part of whitetail hunting. So, you know, you, you adapt to what you got to do in order to get, get the job done. And, yeah. you know, if I, if I was out here and I found a monster buck, I knew he was hitting a certain water source. Um, maybe I'm in thick timber to where it's, it's hard to keep, tabs on him hard to set up a stock or even know where he's bedding but i know a water source he's hitting but your ass i'm going to be sitting there at that water and, yeah. and making a play for it it's it's uh it, it the reward will be well worth it so it's just it's you know you gotta you gotta pick your poison it just you gotta be able to adapt to any situation especially with mule deer because it's just they're so unpredictable yeah one one thing that i'm always curious about in terrain like that and it's such big country i know you mentioned it's difficult sometimes to pattern the deer are you able to kind of track deer year to year do you have certain deer that you that you watch in one area and you're like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna wait for him to grow another year or two or is it kind of going out each year scouting new deer and going after them oh yeah for sure there's there's definitely deer that we've seen year after year in the same areas um early season bucks when they're they're bachelored up i've noticed that they they do tend to have their areas where they like to hang out in that early season where they're they're still in velvet they're in bachelor groups and that's mainly when i see the same deer year after year um come the rut i have seen the same deer in the same areas year after year but it's not not as likely because they just once once the rut comes they're just covering country you know it's just does 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 they're just going to be bouncing around and uh early season i had a buck that we we called him grandpa just a massive typical wide i'm just a pretty pretty buck and we hunted him for five years and i saw him within the same mile range every year during that five-year period I could not ever get a shot on him. Dang. I, just, I just couldn't get a shot on him. He would, he would be right outside of range or, 
and he would, there would be times where he knew I was there and wouldn't just blow out, but he, he knew, he knew his safe distance and he was like, no, nah, you, you get a little too close now. And then he'd be gone. I, I uh, got lucky enough. One of those years, I drew an elk tag and a deer tag in the same unit. So, and I hadn't, that year I hadn't seen him yet. I'd seen a handful of other decent bucks that I couldn't get a shot on, but I wasn't really focused on, on deer at that point. I was focused on elk. And I was driving down a two tracker back to camp from my morning elk hunt. And I looked over, I just, just happened to look out of the passenger window and I just saw his rack on the side of the, on the side of the two tracker. I mean, he was probably a hundred yards off the road and I was like, oh, crap, there he is. And my dad was oh. driving and I, I just told him to keep going. I got out and I said, like, keep going, don't stop. So he just kept on driving and I just, I sat there for about five minutes and let everything kind of calm down. My dad stopped up the road a little bit sooner than what I wanted. I was like, uh, and he kept an eye on that truck and I was like, oh crap. So I was able to slip up another 20 yards, had an 80 yard shot, range him right at 80 yards. I drew back. And uh, as soon as I put that 80 yard pin on him, he just turned around and was gone. That's the closest I've ever gotten to getting a shot at him and never saw him again after that. Gone. Dang. So, yeah, but that I saw that deer in that same area for five years straight. I guess I guess that's something that kind of translates across all types of hunting. When you get to follow a deer or have history with a deer year after year and see it grow, and you know, you might see it injured one year and then it's healed up the next year with a slight limp, or I, I don't know. There's something about building a history with an animal, especially oh, a yeah. wild animal. Yeah, for sure. Um, when when you go out for mule deer, especially, uh, I know you're hunting them in the rut sometimes. Is it, is it at all like, I guess, elk or whitetail hunting when you're using calls and scent and, and that type of thing? Or is it primarily your spot and stock? You don't really want it to be alerted to your presence at all, or you don't use those types of uh, tactics to get close? Well, you, you use any tactic that's going to produce results. And that's, I mean, you, you, there's some times where you're going to pull every trick out of your playbook that you have. I have had success rattling in mule deer, which, you know, is a, a common misconception that that's not possible that they don't come into it. Well, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen them come running into the rattling. So that is something that's, that's possible. But there's certain times of year, obviously, during the rut, that, that that's going to be productive and other times that it's not. Um, grunting, you know, I've, I've watched them hear the grunt and not really pay much attention to it. Um, not saying that that's not something that will bring them in. It's just something that I hadn't had a success with, with mule deer. With the coos deer, yeah, you, you can call those in all day just like a whitetail. Um, but primarily it's going to be spot and stock or, you know, still hunting. And another tactic that I use is, I guess I would call it, um, would be a good name for it, blind stalking. It's, it's just moving through the woods in an area where, you know, you, you've obviously you've scouted it. There's good sign, there's tracks, trails, um, droppings. You know, there's deer in there. Maybe you've seen a big buck in there, but you hadn't been able to glass and it's too thick or you can't pinpoint or pattern them. You just kind of move through the trees real, real slow. You know, you're just making almost no noise. Keep, keep the wind in your face 
and just take a couple steps, get down glass with, with your binoculars. And I mean, just pick everything apart. You're almost sitting in a blind, you're moving so slow, but you're covering country, you're covering the mountainside, you're covering drainages, whatever it is just to, I mean, it could be a whole entire Canyon that you plan on, on cruising through the bottom of, or, um, or just, just the side of a slope but you just move real slow and use your binoculars to pick apart any kind of movement. So the goal there is to see them before they see you, which is almost impossible, but <laughs> it, it can be done. Yeah. The, I like the idea of cruising through canyons that way. I talked to some old timers the first time I ever had a mule deer tag. And one of the guys was like, dude, if you want to shoot a mule deer, you walk through these drainages. I mean, they were like the lowest points in a valley big mountains on both sides, but it was just like a cutout where the water had had cut away the ground. And I walked through it. I didn't go very far. I mean, I probably did like a quarter mile in one of those, but the amount of sign that I saw and the, like the tracks, the droppings, everything, I never did come up on a mule deer, but also it was during an elk hunt and I didn't want to take up everybody else's time by going after the one mule deer that somebody had a tag for. Um, but I was like, man, I could see this being very productive, just slowly oh, yeah. walking through, popping up. You know, you might bump them out a little bit, and then they go four or five bends down that channel, and they sit tight again for a minute. And yeah, it was, it was definitely a unique experience. But it blew my mind how you're looking out across this valley that seems to be pretty flat. You feel like you could pick it apart pretty quick, and then all of a sudden, there's this channel or trench or river bottom that drops down 20 feet below everything that you can see um that that seems like a fun way to hunt yeah oh yeah no it's it's uh it's it's awesome and you know that that tactic going down the bottom of the valleys is especially when it's warm that's going to be the cooler area and it's it's great because you know the thermals are fairly predictable they're going to be coming down in the afternoon and they're going to be going up in the mornings so you can pick what's, you know, let's say you're, you have a buck that you know is down in this drainage. Well, you're below him. The wind's going right up there. You can, well, I'll circle, I'll circle around, um, wait till the thermals change and heat up and it's, and it's coming up. You can circle around without being seen. You use, use the side of the mountain, get to the top of that drainage, and then just slowly work your way down. The wind's going to stay pretty consistent. Um, the tricky part is how close can you get being quiet? Yeah. You know, you're, you're, they're, they're smart animals. Well, the, the other thing I noticed with that is if you haven't had rain, that brush is real dry and really crunchy and it catches on everything. And yeah. that was one of the biggest things I was like, man, I've got to get used to that, you know, pushing through sagebrush or junipers or cedars. It's, it's a loud ordeal. And so even if, even if they can't see you yet, you've got to, you've got to at least be able to see them before they hear you or smell you. And so there's a lot to it. Um, but it is fun, man. It's definitely a challenge and I look forward to doing it with my bow. Like I said, the next, the next, um, progression in hunting for me is going to be a lot of Western archery hunting. Yeah, for sure. I got to tell you one thing about the sound though is they're a lot less likely to blow out of there if they hear something than if they smell something. If they smell you, it's done. They, they know it's a human, they're gone. 
Yeah. But if, you know, there's other animals in the, in the forest making sounds. So it's okay to have a little bit of noise there. You know, if they hear something off, they're going to, they're going to be there and they're going to want to check it out. They're going to want to either smell it or see it. So you, you still have a chance. If you think that you've broken a branch and alerted their attention, if you stay still for just stay still, you know, it may take, may take 20 minutes, may take 45 minutes, but <clears throat> they'll eventually calm down if they don't smell you or see you. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, they, they, instead of blowing out, I've, and I've watched it with, with bucks that have been in like big Aspen thickets, um, mm -hmm. out in Colorado, we were elk hunting. I look out and I see all this movement in the Aspen and here it's like probably a dozen mule deer, maybe a little under, maybe eight to 10 probably. And, uh, there were hunters walking the ridge above. Well, I end up spotting this big mule deer buck and he's just bedded down and all these does are kind of feeding near him and around him. Well, these hunters spooked every one of those does out. And I was watching to see if that buck ever popped out and he didn't, he just kind of hung out. And it, it was pretty interesting to me to see all of the other deer take off and this big mature buck just hung out. And he, he just, you could tell he felt safe and he was like, you know, I'm not going to get up and move unless they get closer. Um, so that was kind of cool. Uh, another question, though, that I have for you, I know you had mentioned the thermals, playing them morning, evening, they stay pretty consistent. Uh, are there other strategies that change for you between morning, midday, and evening hunts? Like, do the deer kind of have a, a pattern maybe? Are they moving in the mornings and evenings and bedded down all day during the heat of the day? Or how do you, how do you play that? Well, that's going to depend on the type of terrain that you're hunting. That's going to depend on the type of season you're hunting. Um, <clears throat> early season bucks, well, they're bachelored up. I've seen them active, you know, midday. I've seen them more, more mid, late morning, early afternoon than I have all the way right before dark or in the morning. Um, Pre-rut, you, you know, they're starting to get active. They're starting to search for does, but, you know, that's going to be more of a morning, evening uh, the rut, you know, you, it's, it, they could, they could bed down for a little while. They could be running around. You never know. The best, the best thing to do is hunt all day. You always hunt all day. You should always be doing something, glassing, looking for sign, always be out and about. Don't, don't do that. Well, you know, I'll go hunt the morning, go back and eat breakfast and hang out for the day and then maybe have lunch and then go for the evening. I mean, you're wasting, you know, six, eight, 10 hours of, of productivity. I mean, you could be finding areas, you could be glassing, you could be um, just looking for sign. You could be driving down a tube tracker, just looking for, for tracks crossing. You always want to be hunting all day. And then from there, that'll tell you, okay, look, they're, they're, these deer at this time on this hunt and this terrain are active. You know, I've been seeing them two o'clock, three o'clock. Early season, you can, you can, pretty well pinpoint if you saw a deer at 10 o'clock in the morning on this hillside well if you go back the next day there's there's going to be deer moving right around 9 to 11 o'clock on that hillside so um i guess that's a loaded question the answer is yes and no <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's i mean i i find that that happens a lot um with most types of hunting you know it it can definitely be that where where you're patterning them or you know like hey they're going to be bedded down around this time but 
weather changes everything, you know, uh, a different buck moving into the area, predators, more hunting pressure. And so I get that side of it to, to be adaptable. But I, I've heard some people, you know, there's some people who like to play the ambush game where, where they figure out the deer are moving from this food source to this bedding area and they try to kind of cut them off and, and wait for them to come by. And then I, I've heard from people that are like, dude, my favorite thing is to watch them bed and then go after, try to get in their bedroom when they're laying down and, you know, even get a shot off before they get up out of their bed. And uh, it, it's just interesting to me to see all the different types of hunting you can do when you're out West, even in the same week on the same hunt um, and people's preferences, what they, the way that they like to approach it, I guess. Yeah. And um, I've hunted both ways. I've hunted the ambush um, corridors or, you, you know, their travel areas, or like you said, their bedding feed source. It's tough because, you know, they plan their routes accordingly. You know, they know what the wind's going to be doing, where they're going to be going. They want to know what's there before they're there. Um, I mean, you're talking about something that is, you know, 365 days out of the year hunted, you know, whether it be a mountain lion, a person, they, they want to know where they're going and their senses are going to tell them if it's safe. So that makes it a little bit harder to ambush because if they're going to be coming up through there, you know, the wind's already going there or it's, it's, it's difficult, but it, but it can be done. The spot and stock. Um, I like for one, because you can just cover so much more vast country with your glass. You can find, uh, a lot, a lot more opportunities. Um, and when you, you watch them bed down, you kind of dictate, okay, the wind's coming this way, or this Canyon does this, you can plan around especially if you have a spotter, if you have somebody to help guide you and keep an eye on that deer while you're moving in, it's just, it, it, your chances of success are so much higher. Yeah. With, with hunting mule deer, I mean, you're hunting sometimes the same terrain for elk and coos deer. How does, how does your strategy change maybe for coos deer being a whitetail subspecies in comparison to muleys? Who's deer? Um, a lot of it's the same. A lot of it's going to be spot and stock. They, you know, their nickname is the great ghost and it's, it's a fitting name because they just up and disappear. It's they're, they're tough animals. They get close to, um, I've tree stand hunted them. I've sat tanks. I've spot and stocked. Uh, my dad has I think three coos bucks with a longbow spot Dang. and stock. Well, one out, one was out of a tree stand and the other two were spot and stock, which is, that's impressive in itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, you hunt them a lot like mule deer, but you can call them in a lot like white tails. Let's say you, you, you find scrape lines, they they'll run scrape lines. And if you find a scrape line, yeah, you set up a stand in there. Cause that buck's going to be back. He's going to come check his scrapes. Um, I have one coos deer with my bow and it was, it was an Arizona over the counter tag early season and it was spot and stock. I saw him and, and I thought I blew him out of there, but I was like, well, you know, I better just hang tight, move real slow and see what, what's going on. And I went a little bit further and sure enough, I came up, he was standing there 50 yards and drilled him. And that's, 
I mean, more luck than skill to tell you the truth. But uh, <laughs> I was I was pretty happy with that that situation. Um, but spot and stock. You watch YouTube videos, you watch everything. The majority of of the way that people hunt them is spot and stock. It's just I think strictly because it's more fun and more opportunity. You you're going to see more game. You're going to have more opportunity. You may have twelve stocks that you don't even get. In, you know, within 150 yards, but you know, 12 stocks is better than sitting at a tank for three days and seeing two does. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I mean, just being active, like the, the feeling of putting in work, I don't know if, if I'm crazy in this, but I, I feel like a lot of guys especially can resonate with this. Um, when you go and you put in, you know, 10 miles on foot in one day and you put in five hours of glassing and you come back and although you might not have had a shot opportunity, but maybe you got close a couple times, you feel accomplished. Like you did something right. Whereas, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you know, you feel like, Hey, I did everything I could today. I'm going to go back and try it again tomorrow. You don't always have that same feeling when you're in a tree stand or in a ground blind or sitting in the brush near a water tank, because you're leaving a lot of it up to the animal and it, it's almost kind of luck of the draw at that point, unless you, yeah, well, you know, you're, done you're, all your... you have a little bit more uh, control of your destiny when you're out pounding the ground and, and trying, you're like, wow, this, this didn't work. I can change tactics and I can move here. I can do here. When you make a decision that you're going to sit at a tank or in a tree stand, that that's your decision and, and you're there. So you're, you're, you better have, all the intel gathered to make sure that that's the right decision. And in your mind, you'll be a lot more confident if you, you did gather that intel and you said, Oh, this is the way to do it. And you just got to wait it out. But when you're on the ground, there's a million more things that can go wrong, but you're in control. Yeah. You have more opportunity to make adjustments. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, what, do you have a preference? Like, would you rather be hunting the rut? I know there's like in the whitetail world, there's some discrepancy. Some people absolutely love the rut. Some people don't like it as much because the deer aren't as patternable. You know, the bucks are pushing the does. The does are getting wore out. Uh, how does that play out for you with, with mule deer hunting? Um, I love hunting the rut. It's, but it, it's the same scenario. Some people don't like it. Some people do. It's there's, there's drawbacks um to it obviously it's hard especially with the bow during the rut it's hard to keep them still that's your biggest your your biggest part when you're stalking it's hard to keep them in that stockable area for the amount of time that you need to move in or slip in within shooting distance because they're just they're moving they're pushing does they're jumping around um i mean even when you with when you're within range i've stocked up on deer where i mean it was just perfectly executed uh, everything was great wind, but you know, the deer comes into shooting distance and you can't get them to stay still. It's just, you, you have no shot and that an opportunity and that three hour stock or whatever it was out the window onto the next, just cause you can't keep them still. Um, early season. I, I, I love hunting bucks in the velvet. I like when they're, they're in bachelor groups. They seem to be a lot calmer, a lot less jumpy uh that early season archery hunt is the first hunt 
So they haven't been pressured. They haven't been shot at. They're, they're just kind of in their zone doing their bachelor group thing. Um, I've found some of the biggest bucks that I've ever seen early season. As a matter of fact, that bucket I was telling you about grandpa that, uh, that I was hunting for those five years, I never saw him hard horned. It was always early season. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, and I've killed my biggest bucks in the velvet early season. It's there. They seem to be a lot calmer, a lot more, more, uh, well, they're out during daylight hours feeding a lot. So it makes them finding them a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, usually they're, they're going to be a little bit higher altitude, but they'll be out in open areas, burns feeding. So you, I mean, you, it, it's a little bit easier to find them, especially those timber bucks. They're going to come out and they're going to be out during the day feeding. So, uh, I mean, it's both ways are, are a great way to hunt. It just depends on, on your preference. Um, during the rut, you're going to see bucks that you're not going to see the rest of the year. You know, those big smart bucks are going to come out of hiding looking for does. So patterning them, not going to happen. Maybe you can rattle them in. Maybe you can do something, but at the very least you can see them. Yeah. Which is always great. Yeah. Any encounters, <laughs> any encounter, uh, in that kind of country and with a wild animal is a win in my book, but obviously getting close is a lot better. Um, are you, are you using any type of decoys during either the rut or early season? Like I know Montana decoys and ultimate predator. A lot of people are coming out with these decoys that you can either hide behind or clip to your bow. Um, to kind of give them that little more confidence and maybe you can get a, away with more movement. Yeah. You know, I've, I've started using those Montana decoys that strap onto the front of your bow. Um, I think I would use it year round. I haven't used it early season yet. Um, I have used it in the rut and, and they work, they work They'll It's just enough to where like, Hey, what's that? But you're, you're doing two things there. You're, you're giving your position away. I mean, you, you're, you're no longer in stealth mode. You're, they know that there's something there and you got to play the part and it's got to be something that makes them curious enough to get within bow range. So if they're already spooky, you know, they've been pressured that I don't know that it's going to work that well. So it's yeah. just going to, again, like this is the thing about mule deer. And I'll say this for every situation, it's all going to depend it's all going to depend on the time of year, the terrain, because there's, it's just, there's no science to mule deer hunting. Like it's just, it's more of an art. It's something that you're going to, you're going to acquire after years and years of hunting, even the same area. Sometimes, you know, it's just, it's, it varies from time to time, from area to area. And it's just something that you have to acclimate yourself to that they're, they're tough. That's why they're one of my favorite things to hunt is they, they're tough. Um, I'm by far a better elk hunter than I am a mule deer hunter. You know, it's awesome to go hunt the rut and you hear the bull. Oh yeah, there's a bull there. I know there's a bull in this canyon. So let's go over here and make a plan. Deer hunting, you may be out there for five days before you even find the deer. Now, now, now I got to find, now I got to consistently find him every day in order to get a shot and figure out a plan. And it's just, it's, it's insane. They're insane. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely 
that aspect. I mean, when you have a one, a much smaller animal, typically they're in smaller numbers. They don't have, you know, the, the height of rack by any means. Um, and then not making noise. <laughs> I can see why they would be a whole lot harder to yeah, hunt tough. than, than a herd tough. of elk. You know, what? your best bet is that glass. <clears throat> oh yeah. The, like you said, letting your, letting your binoculars or your spotter do the walking for you, um, is a key. What, what time of year is the rut out there and what is <clears throat> like the, uh, the length of it, I guess. Uh, well, it varies here. I guess like everything with build deer hunting, it varies. The further north you go, the earlier the rut's going to happen. So you're you're looking northern New Mexico. It's going to start in November into the beginning of December. Central New Mexico, December. Southern New Mexico, January. Wow. Um, and the the coos deer rut seems to be a little bit later than than the mule deer rut. So, I mean, within a couple of weeks, so they're, they're, they're fairly close, but you have, I don't know, I would say, I'm not really talking from scientific numbers, but you have a two to three week window that, that the hunting is going to be pretty good. Nice. That's, but uh, it just depends on the part of the state you're in. Man, I would not have guessed that it was that late, and I, I don't know what I was basing that off of. Maybe it's just thinking about, like, when people um, out west, like near the Rocky Mountains, do archery elk hunting, you know? I mean, sometimes that's September is when yeah. they're bugling and stuff. So, for some reason, I just assumed that the mule deer rut was going to be around that same time frame. But that's that's late. I mean, that oh, gives yeah. you nope. that gives people the opportunity to – go out out west for uh the elk rut come back to the midwest for the whitetail rut and then still get and down then, to the yep. southwest for the mule deer rut that's pretty sweet yep. yeah yeah hopefully that'll be my plan one of these years yeah what uh what do you have planned i mean do you have any big hunts coming <clears throat> up or or new states that you're trying to hit uh well I've, I've definitely tried to expand into different states i struck out in the nevada draw uh for elk and deer bighorn sheep that's that's a more of a long-term game plan i'm building points i'm putting yeah. it in for tougher units obviously but because i do have other hunts that i can do consistently like the over-the-counter arizona so i'm not worried about not being able to hunt so i'm trying to apply some points to some of these states that are going to be tougher later on arizona you know the strip kaibab i would love to hunt one day hopefully maybe in 20 years because i just started building points um but I did put in for elk out there. I struck out there, struck out for elk here in New Mexico. Um, but I did draw an archery ibex hunt here in New Mexico. New Mexico is the only place in the, in the lower 48 you can hunt them. Yeah. Um, it's considered one of the toughest hunts in the world or in the lower 48. It's, I think the thing is a 3% chance of harvesting one. Jeez. I've drawn it once before. It's an insane mountain. Uh, flat out scary mountain is what it is. It's just, it's, you got to be in shape. Those animals are, they live on the side of cliffs and you got to get up there with them. Uh, that whole mountain's full of rattlesnakes, sharp, pokey bushes. Uh, just about everything seems like it wants to kill you. Uh, it's a fun hunt. I recommend it. <laughs> so I, I did, I did draw that. Um, as far as deer here in New Mexico, I didn't draw my first, second or third choice. But we have a fourth choice, which is a quadrant. 
they break up the, the, the state into Northeast, Southeast, yada, yada, yada. I put in for the Southwest region on the fourth choice, which is saying I'll take any leftover tag that, that doesn't get scooped up in the draw on that fourth choice. And I got a tag on that. So it's there. Obviously they didn't go in the draw. They're lower, lower desired tags, probably lower deer units or different time of the year. And I was actually surprised at the tag that I got. I, I got a pretty, pretty good tag. I, I thought it would have, it would have gotten uh, taken up in the regular draw, but it didn't. It is an early season, which a lot of people, they, they would uh, prefer the rut. So that may be why it was left over. But it, it's a unit that has both mule deer and coos deer, but it's one of the few of the units that, that contain both species that you have to pick either or. Oh, you can okay. only hunt mule deer or coos deer. You can't hunt both. So it's a mule deer tag. So an early season mule deer tag, I'll get to hunt. And I still have a tag in Arizona. I, I got in January. I didn't, I didn't tag out. So the unit right next to the one I drew in New Mexico is, is an open Arizona unit. So I'll be able to simultaneously hunt New Mexico and Arizona this year. So that ought to be interesting. Um, I drew a bear tag, which is normally over the counter. I mean, most bear tags here are over the counter, except for a, a few select units. And I've hardly ever put in for them. I, I think I started two years ago putting in for these, these uh, draw tags for bear. And I put in for up north in uh, Sugar Creek Canyon State Park, which there's a, a big number of bears in there. But there was only five tags and I was able to draw one. So uh, I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go give it hell. It's an archery only bear tag. I have the entire month of, of August and I can only hunt in the state park in that unit. Okay. So it should be, should be a fun, interesting hunt. Hopefully I can get somebody to tag along in video because um, I think that that'd be a cool one. Uh, I drew archery antelope. That's the first time in my life I've ever drawn an antelope tag. So I'm excited about that one. Uh, I've been on an archery antelope hunt and I know how tough it is. That's a, that's a tough hunt, man. Yeah. Uh, you, you definitely put in every skill that you, that you have and bring out every tactic <laughs> and uh, you sit in water, maybe one of them. So we'll see. Um, so I've got a, a pretty good year lined up. I'm disappointed that I didn't draw an elk tag. This is three years in a row now. It's getting, seems like it's getting harder and harder to do, but my dad drew uh, a really good elk tag. So I'll still get my, my fix and I'll get to go call and, and mess around with some bugling bulls and just get out in the mountains and enjoy the time with my dad. Yeah, that's, I mean, you've got quite the year ahead of you uh, for yeah. between antelope, uh, tagging along with your dad, the mule deer, the bear, the ibex that's going to be a sweet hunt and i like how you said it's everything wants to kill you it's a fun hunt yeah <laughs> oh it is i i've i've only seen videos never seen an ibex never even been close i don't think and um it it definitely seems like that mountain is rugged and wants to hurt you and you've got to be on your toes the entire time hey, do you know are they good tasting animals I, I guess I've never um, even heard about how they taste. You know what? I've heard from a very few people that I do talk to through social media that have actually taken one, um, that they're pretty good. I mean, it's a goat basically. Yeah. 
I know, I know we grew up with my grandparents, they were raising goats and eating them. And I liked it growing up. So, um, I imagine it's like everything else. It's all on how you prepare it in the field and, 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 and how you cook it. Um, hopefully I'll find out. Yeah. I'll let you know. Yeah. Let me know for yeah. sure. We'll, we'll have to do a, a 2022 recap, uh, oh, see, yeah. how, see how all the seasons went and how everything panned out. But yeah, that's, that's exciting. I mean, you've got a wide variety of animals that you're going to get to go after this year. One thing I like to ask uh, all of my guests is, is there a bucket list hunt? Like your number one, if you could do it, I mean, really at any point in life, but like, what is your, what is your go-to if you had a dream hunt that you could go and do? Yeah, that's a tough question. That's a really tough question because obviously, you know, Alaska comes to mind, moose, doll sheep, that sort of thing. But I'm a muley fanatic and I got to say, being able to hunt the strip, just just having an opportunity in an area where there's possibly a 300 inch mule deer, I think that would be the one. Yeah. And that, <laughs> oh, Arizona, New Mexico, I mean, really the Southwest, it's some, it's a place that was, basically a different planet to me most of my life. You know, I'm in, I, I grew up in Wisconsin. Like our, our low temperature is, is something that you guys probably don't ever even think about, you know, getting into the negative forties and maybe, maybe the oh, yeah. desert no, thank you. will surprise <laughs> me. But, um, but also like our high temperature isn't anywhere close to what you guys get. And so I, I just never, associated the southwest with hunting for some reason and the more i talk to people the more videos i watch i realize that that place is alive with game animals and it, it's a place that i definitely need to try to hunt at some point so i haven't put in for tags there yet i think i'm going to start this year and start building points um, different places or just trying to draw i know that you said um th there's no point system for was it muleys? There's no point system for. Uh, just... We have no point system for anything. Oh, in for New Mexico, anything in New nothing. Mexico. There's no points. Everything's everything's a complete random draw. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I'm definitely gonna start putting in then, and uh, yeah. hopefully one year get get a chance to go down there and chase after some desert muleys or antelope or elk or something. Well, I'll tell you one thing: if you ever draw anything, give me a call. You know, give me a call, and we'll figure it out. There's there's a uh, a lot of great things to hunt out here, man. Just come do it. One yeah. thing I can recommend to you or anybody else that's going to come out that's not used to Western hunting, um, train, get in shape, be well conditioned. Because it's that that's one thing that I've seen ruin hunts over and over again is somebody not being conditioned. You know, especially if you don't have a chance to come out, scout, set cameras, put boots on the ground, you're doing nothing but e-scouting. Um, you may get here and, you know, through e-scouting, you have five or six different areas that, that you see as possible, um, possible good, good deer units or good deer areas. You go, your first two don't pan out. You've been hiking 15, 20 miles, you know, over two, three days, you know, that third, fourth day, it starts getting harder and harder to get out of bed early and, and, and go hike another six miles up for something you don't know if it's even there or not yeah then by the time you do find a deer 
boy, that's going to take you on a whole another course because you're 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 going to put in some more miles. And just when you start finding the deer and things are getting good, if you're burnt out and you can't keep up physically, you, your your chances of success are going to you know severely be dwindled. So I mean, conditioning, conditioning, conditioning. Um, altitude. A lot of people don't realize, I mean, this, this mountain right here behind me, the, it goes up to, I think, 10,300 feet. Wow. That's here in Albuquerque. You know, the mountains, you, you're going to get up there in altitude. And some people that if they're not used to that, it's going to, they need to be prepared to, to deal with that. I mean, there's altitude sicknesses that people get that it'll just completely knock you out of the game. I mean, flat out dangerous if you're not, if you're not, uh, acclimated to it so that's also something that, that they need to be prepared for come a few days early get acclimated give your son your your self time to scout um i know it's hard we all have jobs we all have you know we do this as, as a hobby We're not not everybody's fortunate enough to just be able to say hey you know i'm going on every hunt for the, every tag that i draw in every state for every bit of each hunt I mean, it'd be a dream, obviously, but you know, you got you got to use your time wisely. And old Randy Newberg says he would rather have two days scouting than an extra two days hunting. So you know, come get acclimated, come check out your your area, and uh, make a plan. That's awesome, man. Well, hopefully, I'll be uh, I'll be taking you up on some of those tips and advice and coming out a couple days early here in the next couple seasons. Um, before we hop off, I want to give you a chance to share where people can find you, where they can follow along, see some of your pictures or videos or success that you've had in the outdoors. Um, I have an Instagram page called Muley Cartel. Um, that's mainly where most of my hunting content goes. I do have a YouTube channel, also Muley Cartel. Um, I'm, I would like to have some cameraman. Cameraman, if anybody out there would like to come on some Western hunts and be a cameraman, please message me because I've tried to self film. And let me tell you what, getting the shot or harvesting is always going to trump getting it on video for me. Yeah. The camera seems to go out the window right away. I don't need this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go after the deer. So I'm a horrible self filming hunter. I props to the solo hunters cause they do an awesome job. Uh, but I, I, it's not just out of my capabilities. So a cameraman would be good and hopefully we'll be able to bring more content on YouTube. Yeah, that's, I, man, I feel you on all of that. I, I always get this sweet camera gear and I'm like, oh, I'm going to film everything. The one thing I will say that has been beneficial to me so far, I got a GoPro and the GoPro remote. It just goes on my watch. So if mm -hmm. I put the GoPro on my bow stabilizer, all I have to do instead of like, reaching forward hitting the on button hitting record all i have to do is hit record it'll turn it on and start recording immediately and uh i hope that i actually start getting stuff on film now because i'll have a tree arm up in the tree with me i'll have a i'll have a tactic cam on my bow or on my head and a deer comes in and i don't push record on anything because i'm so yeah your, your mind just goes erased <laughs> yeah. gone it's just focus on deer, 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 not all, all the other steps. Yeah. Um, the GoPros are great. I think they're awesome. The, they're, the newer ones, especially, you can change that linear view. So it's not like a action cam. So it's not so, so 3D-ish. 
yeah. you know, it makes a 20, 20 yard away deer look like it's a hundred miles away from you. Yeah. Um, so they've come a little, little way with that. I'm actually using a GoPro as my webcam here because I was having problems with the camera on my computer it was just freezing up. So I oh, man. connected my GoPro to, to use as, as a webcam. So that's why it's still, it's, you still have a little bit of that, that, uh, um, I don't know, I guess like a fisheye lens look, but it's, it's a little bit flatter than the older ones. Yeah. Well, man, I really do appreciate you. It's been a pleasure having you on and, and sharing all of your insight and knowledge about hunting the desert, hunting out West. Uh, dude, the offer is open, man. If you ever want to come out, obviously you've got the connection with Brad. You've got a place to stay there. Uh, but if you want to come chase some whitetail and by chase, I mean, sit in a tree stand and wait for them to come to you. <laughs> uh, you're more than welcome. You know, I, I will be out there. I'm, I'm going to make it out there hopefully in the next year or two, that will be a, a priority. So I appreciate it. And likewise, if you draw out here, you want somebody to tag along with you. Well, you know, I'm a pretty good cameraman when I'm not hunting. So yeah. I would, I would love to tag along and give you a hand. Just give me a call, man. That sounds great, man. Well, I appreciate it and good luck this season. I'm looking forward to see how everything pans out for you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I had a great time hearing all about Marcus's passion for New Mexico mule deer hunting, Arizona mule deer hunting, elk hunting, you name it. I think I'm going to take a lot of these tactics and implement them this fall. I'm heading out to Utah with a good friend of mine. We're going to chase after a mule deer as her first archery hunt ever. Well, her first hunt, period. But she's going to go after it with a bow. And so I was really curious about some of the different strategies when it comes to hunting like desert mule deer. It's a foreign concept to me. I'm not in that type of terrain very often. And so it was definitely helpful hearing Marcus just share all about that stuff. And hopefully I can get him up here to Missouri for archery whitetail season. That's a trade I think most eastern or midwestern hunters would make, like a western mule deer hunt for a whitetail hunt here in Missouri. Come on. I would do that every single day. But I think I think that, I don't know, it seems like every year we get more and more surprised, or I do at least, at how quick season gets here. If you guys aren't already out shooting your bows every day or getting your rifles dialed in, getting your gear list set up, getting kind of final details together for your Western hunts, I mean, we're already at the beginning of July, which means a lot of these seasons are only a month and a half, two and a half months away. And we all know that goes by very, very quickly here as summer wraps up. So make those final preparations. And until next time, get out there and chase a new adventure.